We are in uh, Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six. So if you turn there with me, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read this and, and, and roll um, as we go along here. I'm not gonna read the whole passage up front, but we've been in Luke chapter six, which is, it, it could be the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, um, uh, but it's, a lot of people call it the Sermon on the Plain, and like Jesus is using similar material, but they're not the exact same sermon. So if, if you know the Bible at all, and if you don't, we're so glad that you're here, but if you know the Bible at all, one of the things that you would know is that there's some repetition in the Gospels, and that proves in part its reliability because different people see things from different perspectives or hear things from different perspectives. But we have the, the Sermon on the Plain, or on the, a level area, as it says earlier in the book of Luke here. And this is really just like Jesus' manifesto. It's his, it's his teaching on, uh, on life. And I, I would just, I would say this, and, and that is, and by the way, we finished up First Peter last week. Uh, if you came to first service, I did not finish First Peter. If you came to second service, I did. <laughs> Two services is hard, man. I, I just got stuck, and so you got a little, you got a special version if you came to first service. So in any case, uh, I did finish First Peter. If you didn't hear the whole thing, you go back online. I think we put the second one on uh, podcasts or whatever it is, so you can look at that. But we're, in, we're back in Luke. We started Luke uh, at the beginning of the year or sometime or, uh, around Christmas time, and so uh, we're back in Luke, and so I'm totally discombobulated. I need a vacation. Give me some grace here. Okay, here we go. So we're in the book of Luke, and Luke is uh, talking about this sermon that Jesus gave, and it's, it's, it's a sermon on the plane, and so, and Jesus is, it's his manifesto. It's, it's basically what he wants us to know about how we should live. One of the things that you need to know about this, this sermon, about his teaching, is that it has changed the world. It's completely changed the world. It's changed the world so much that the world that we know today is largely been established simply by things like this sermon, this sermon of Jesus. It's not as though like there was all kinds of teachers out there teaching all kinds of nice things and we should be nice and we should do this. No, here's Jesus coming into a world that was absolutely brutal and violent, horrific. It, this, this world that Jesus uh, uh, came into as a baby, the incarnation, uh, God in the flesh, and then is raised into, Jesus comes on the scene and he changes the world. And he changes the world through a teaching that is unlike any other teaching that's out there. You have to understand how polarizing this would be. We read it today and we say, well, that seems pretty, that seems pretty normal. And it's because we, this, this is the air that we breathe. The air that we breathe is Western civilization. And Western civilization is built on this teaching. Like it or not, it is. And anytime you say, hey, you shouldn't steal or you shouldn't kill, we, people should have civil rights, uh, there shouldn't be slavery, there shouldn't be uh, racism, there shouldn't be any, uh, any of those things. Anytime you say those things, you're borrowing something from the teaching of Jesus Christ that you didn't realize that you're borrowing because it's the air that we breathe and we take it for granted. But here's, here's the problem, as, as culture moves on, culture says, you know what, I like the teaching of Jesus, but I don't like Jesus. We're not really saying that we like the teaching of Jesus. Really, we're saying, hey, everybody knows 
that we should be kind to people and that we shouldn't be violent and that we, you know, we shouldn't allow these things to happen. But the truth is, everybody doesn't know that. That came from Jesus' teaching. That came from who he is. So this passage is absolutely transformational for the world. It's absolutely transformational. Look at verse 35. I'm really gonna be, I've already taught on this, but I'm gonna pick it up there and try to put it in context for you. Verse 35 says, but love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, think, think about that. The, the, the mainstream of thought would have been during this time that you should hate your enemies, kill your enemies, take them out, wipe them off the face of the earth. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, love them. Don't just like not kill them, love them. And uh, like I'm assuming he means also do good to them. Don't just like, you know, not hate them, but love them and go beyond the step of just saying, okay, I love you. Say, say like, I'm going to do good to this person. I'm going to lend to them. I'm going to expect nothing back in return. It's not tit for tat. It's, it's that like I give and I give and I give and I give and I might not get anything in return. That's transformational. We think that like, oh yeah, I mean, we're basically Christian. Like we have these Christian values and, and stuff. But are, are, we, are we living on that level? Are we living on that level? Are we allowing ourselves to be taken advantage of the way that God allows himself to be taken advantage of. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God, think about this, God is kind to people who are ungrateful, to, to people who receive from God, receive good gifts from him, receive uh, whatever, whatever it is, the air that they're breathing, their livelihood, their family, their, uh, their everything, they receive from him, and then they turn around and they give God the finger and they say, forget you. They insult him and his church. And they, they, but yet God allows his son, the sun in the sky, to shine on the evil and the good. He sends rain to water the crops of the pagan as well as the God-fearer. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, and he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So Jesus has is, uh, got an exclamation point here on being merciful as your father is merciful. The next verse he says, uh, judge not. What, how, how should this mercy be played out? Like what should Christians be characterized with? Christians should be characterized with this idea of mercy and specifically how should mercy play itself out? How should we love our enemies? Well, first of all, we should be merciful even to our enemies. And then secondly, he says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Now, this kind of seems like if, if I do this, then I get that. And I think in large part, Jesus is kind of saying the world kind of works this way. I think one way to look at this is, is, is the idea that like uh, Western civilization, what we live in, this life right here and right now, is, uh, is built on these principles. It's, it's built on this idea. And, and God is saying, this is the way that I've ordered things to work. This is, way, this is the way that the world works. And when you do this my way, life goes better, even for the person that is evil and rejects him. This is the truth that comes out here. So he says, judge not and you will not be judged. One of the most taken out of context passages that there could possibly be. Many times people use this passage to say, doesn't it say, judge not, lest ye be judged. People, I don't know, everybody knows this in the old King James Version. I'm not sure why. But you shouldn't judge. I mean, we've all, we've all heard it before. Anytime there's some type of a moral evaluation of culture, anytime there's a moral evaluation of, uh, how many kids do we got in the room? Um, no, no, no. I, I'm getting one of these for my wife. Anytime there's a moral evaluation of family stuff, I'll just say that. The culture says, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge. You shouldn't do that. The problem with that is that I think we could all agree right now that racism is wrong, correct? Like we can all say, like, you shouldn't be racist. You shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be racist. So, but, but that's a judgment as well. That's a moral evaluation. And so what, what we have to look at is like, whose evaluation are we talking about? Like, is, is this saying, is Jesus saying, you should not make moral evaluations about people or about the world or about how things should go or about government? You should not make moral evaluations. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, Jesus is talking about something else. Jesus is, is here. He's teaching in the presence of a bunch of people who know and understand their culture. And in their culture, the very religious people, the Jews, the Pharisees, are what is well known. They are the group of people that are well known in this culture. They're the ones who are adherent to the Old Testament scriptures. But that religion had been corrupted over the years. Man-made laws had been added. There was no grace. There was no mercy. There was no anything there. It had turned in, into a vindictive way to control people. Man had completely destroyed what was going on there. And Jesus is coming in here, and, he, and he's, he even says this at times. He's saying, you know that the people around you do these kinds of things, but I'm telling you that you should not do that kind of thing. You should not be looking down your nose at somebody who can't seem to get their life together. You should not be looking down your nose saying, you know what, that person is so beyond the pale. They do, there's no way that God could have mercy on them. And so we write them off. And men and women, I gotta tell you, our, our, our country, our culture is, 
is not going to become less divided anytime soon. And it will become very easy for us to continue to look down our nose at people and say, you know what, you are beyond God's grace. You're beyond any, any type of relationship with God. There's no way that you could have relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is speaking as God. He is God, and he is speaking the words of God, and he is saying, it is not your place to make final judgments about people. He's saying, you should be walking through life with mercy. It's not that you don't have a moral evaluation. <clears throat> it's not that you don't have a, a, a moral evaluation about whether somebody uh, should or should not be racist, or whether these people should or should not be shacking up, or whether these people should be acting in this way, treating undocumented Im immigrants this way, what, whatever it is. It's not that there can't be a moral evaluation. It's that it is not our place to say that they are beyond God's mercy. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. He's saying making final judgments about these people. He's saying condemn not, and you will not be condemned. When we walk around condemning people, it invites condemnation. It's just the way that it is. It's just the way that it is. Forgive and you will be forgiven. He's saying this is what should characterize our lives. I've been convicted so many times in the last couple of weeks. Like I'm, I'm exhausted from the mask debate. I'm exhausted from it. I'm exhausted from uh, every day having to listen to what the governor say today? What does that mean for us? How do we as a church respond? And I get angry. I get really angry. Um, I get angry because I, I don't like being told what to do. I get angry because I, uh, I see the way that our, our culture has taken the <clears throat> the, the mask debate and made it the new moral debate. Like there's a moralism in this. There's a fundamentalist, uh, fundamentalism in this whole idea of masks. And we can talk about, we can, we can discuss the, the importance of masks and, and, and things like that. But I, I just want to point something out. That this is the new battlefield this is, this is the new place where there will be extreme judgment as to whether you wear a mask or whether you don't. And you will judge us. You will judge me. You will judge the elders. Like, how dare they require masks? Or how dare they not have masks? Or, like, how come... I mean, like, even our... I think there's even places where people are just upset that we're even meeting together. And yet we're, you know, not upset about the thousand people that are going to be in downtown protesting. But this is wrong. This is wrong. Judge, judgmentalism. And this is something that's in the water. Like every single one of us has this. We as Christians are called to be set apart from the culture. Like there should be something completely different about us. Like there's, there's an otherness to who we are. And the otherness looks like 
not aligning ourselves with political parties. I'm not saying we shouldn't make moral judgments. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be affiliated with it, but that that cannot be the central aim of who you are. You cannot, it is wrong to say that one political party is more aligned with the truth of Jesus Christ than the other. It's wrong. And ultimately what's happening is this, is that, is that we are creeping into this. And if we don't get this right, we're just going to be absorbed by our culture. We're going to be absorbed into it. And rather than being something else that's different, something that brings life, Jesus is the one who promoted those. Those things largely did not exist in the world at all prior to the teaching of Jesus and him showing us how this works out. You go down through history and you see how these things were created. You see how education was a foundational element of the Christian religion. That it would educate all kinds of people, the poor, the sick, the weak, the immigrant, whatever. You see how hospitals and caring for the, the sick and things like that were brought into being through Christianity. You see how, how Christians throughout the centuries found that they had, the, they, were, they had the most effect on their culture when they brought in service to those who needed help. When they cared for the weak, when they cared, cared for the sick, when they cared for people that couldn't care for them. To, to, to be generous with our love, with our mercy. I've mentioned this example many times. I'll mention it again in hopes that someone is offended, but you cannot say that I'm pro-life and then say, I'm not pro-immigrant who is desperately seeking life. You can't. It's, you cannot do that. That is not the teaching of Jesus. We can talk about how that happens. We can talk about those things. But when Christians stand up and say, I am pro-life. I am anti-abortion. And in the same breath, do not support the rights of people who are seeking for life from another country or whatever. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You know why it's crazy? Because it's not aligned with Jesus' teaching. It's a generosity that Jesus is calling us to. He's not saying this is what it means to get in to get in good with God, he's saying this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus are characterized by the teachings of Jesus. You get what I mean? And so what has to change, what has to be different about Christians is that we must have these oxymoron type statements they kind of say this, I am pro-life <laughs> from the womb to the tomb, whatever, whatever that is. It's, it's an oxymoron because I'm not aligned with conservatism. 
But before those who are on the more liberal side of things say, aha, see, this is the party of Jesus. Wait one minute. Wait one minute. I'll have more to say at another time on that, but that's not true. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. I mean, there, there's a, a simple truth here that is not always true in, in some senses. I mean, sometimes, you know, you do good to someone and then they completely screw you over, that kind of thing. So that, that happens. So it's kind of like a proverb in that sense. Generally speaking, this is true in our world. When you do good to other people, you get good back. So that, that, that part of that's true. The other question, that, or the, the other thing that I might be saying is this, is that Jesus may be saying, listen, like when you give back to people, God blesses you. And there can be some prosperity gospel in there. Like I should just give and give and give, just uh, give me some seed money. If I, was, if I was, I am a TV preacher now at this point, I guess. Some of you are watching on the TV. You know, and if you want to give a seed and, uh, you know, Jesus will, you know, he'll bless you. I mean, we would probably bring in additional funds if we started teaching that way. But I can just tell you this, like here, you know, if you're giving so that you're going to get back from God, like you're going to, like, I'm, I'm just going to give this money and hopefully God gives that back to me. I mean, I just would say that God might be gracious in not blessing you in that moment because you think you can buy God. So keep your money. But, yeah, there's a big but on the other side of that. But here's the other thing. I was a horrible tither as a young man. I was terrible at it. I was terrible with my, with my money. Um, I, I, I couldn't figure out how to make that work. But I began to tithe, and I began to give back to God. And I have to focus on it. I have to focus on it in such a way that is, is like, I, I need this to hurt. It needs to be sacrifice. It's all God's anyway. It's, it's, it's me acknowledging the fact that these are not my funds. These are God's funds. That's why I'm, I don't drive a brand new Suburban right now. And it's because, in part, it's because, you know, I, I give back to God. I'm not putting that on God. I'm just saying that like, I could probably afford some other nice things if that was the case. But I, I wanna give generously to God and there's moments in my life where I just say this doesn't feel like generosity. I have it on auto tithe and so it just goes in there and I get a, a text that says, oh, it's in there now and I'm like, oh, that's good. I didn't even have to, I didn't have to you know, take the pain of like writing this check. Like I could pay down this credit card or I could, you know, I could do this, I could do that. But I, I, have, I have yet to not feel blessed by God. I have yet to not experience that. I've told the story a thousand times that like, as I did, as I entered into what I believe that God called me to do, which was plant a church, to give up, like I wanted to be in construction. I wanted to build big buildings. But God like, like wrestled me to the ground. And, and it was just like, I like these buildings, they don't matter. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't have eternal value. And I was an idiot kid, you know? I, why do I keep calling myself an idiot in these sermons? But I was, I was not smart. I'll just say that. And God puts this on my heart. And, I, and, I, and so I am setting aside work. I'm setting aside career. It's just what God called me to. 
I'm setting those things aside, and then he wants me to give money back to him at the same time? Like, at some point, I want to say, like, God, haven't I given enough? And Jesus is like, tell me about giving enough, right? And then God, like, blesses the socks off of us. Someone says, hey, I want to tithe to you a half a cow, like a literal half cow. And I was like, I'm not sure I have a freezer big enough for that. In fact, I don't think I did. Like, God gives me so much that I can't even contain it. I can't even contain the goodness. The lady that says, I want to give you guys a bunch of clothes that I bought from Nordstrom. And we just have bags and bags and bags of, like, all of these clothes. We, we wouldn't have shot, shopped at Nordstrom's. Um, I, I, I still don't. Someone else in my family does occasionally, but <laughs> love you, love you. I mean, it's, it's not wrong to shop there, so. Not really, but um, <laughs> when she gets the mic again and comes back up here, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> but like, like it's, just, it's just stuff we wouldn't have bought ourselves. And it's like, it's, it's like give and like God is generous back. But there's like this nuanced thing in there where if, like, if I pay God and say, all right, big money, big money, big money, come on, come on, what are you gonna give me back? That's when it's just like, I hope that God gives you nothing. And I think that that's what God does. God, God blesses us in just saying, you won't control me. You will, not, you will not buy me. You will not buy me out. But God says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. This, this, that, those phrases there are picturing uh, measuring out grain in the market. And so my understanding is like they have something on their lap, like a pocket or something. They're sitting down, and they, you know, they put the grain in there, and then they you know, shake it around, and then they press it down, and then they pour a little more in there, and then they press it down, and they, you know, there's this whole process to measuring out grain. It's a little bit like being at Subway when I'm sitting there and I'm really hungry at lunchtime and I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm watching them like put the meat on my sandwich and I'm like, give a, give a little bit more, give a little bit more, give a little bit more. Like, come on, just, just you know, I, I love meat. And so like, I, that's, that's what I want. Or when you go to like the, the landscape yard and you get some, some, some bark dust or some, uh, you know, mulch or something like that. Like when they pick up the scoop and then they, like, I don't want them to shake the scoop too much, you know? I want it, like, like leave it heaping, leave it mounded. God's expression to us is that, like, when you give, God gives back to you. He doesn't promise us that it will be monetary. But somehow God gives back to us. And it's also a truth that works oftentimes in our culture. Do we have a generous spirit about us with the people that are angry with us for whatever reason? How can we be generous with our love? How can we be generous with our things? How can we be generous with our words? How can we be generous to a culture that, is, that at times is becoming increasingly hostile even though we really have it quite good in this, in this world, how can we be generous to them? It should characterize who we are. 
Verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. The parable, it just seems out of place because it's like, how does that have to do with mercy? Oh, we, I, we have no idea exactly what, why Jesus, I mean, Jesus may have had a, an end goal in mind in this moment. He's speaking to something specifically that's going on in their culture, what have you. I think the tie into our culture today is this, that we live in a culture that is all about outrage. It's, it, it's outrage culture. I mean, it, I mean, you look at uh, any news publication on either side of the political spectrum. It is there to tell you something that is going to make you angry. It's, that's their job. That's what they get paid to do. And people do not read things, do not watch things, do not pay attention to things that do not make them angry today because anger is the driving force. Anger is what fuels our culture. And so they will tell you something. I mean, sometimes they're telling lies. Sometimes they're taking something out of context. Sometimes they're whatever. But here's the problem. Who's your teacher? Who's the teacher? The teacher is the news story. The teacher is the person you're following on social media who brings outrage after outrage after outrage to your mind. Folks, I, you know, I, I, I read news articles too. I get upset. Some of those things are uh, important to me and so forth. But like, there comes a moment where I just have to say, this is not good for me. It is not leading me to being generous with the people around me that, that disagree with me. It's not leading me to generosity with them. It's not leading me to mercy. It's leading me to see the worst things about the other side. And my problem is, is that it's telling me, take a side, or your way of life will be gone forever. Take a side, or everyone's gonna die. Take a side, or, I mean, this is what they're saying to us. They are our teachers. You and I are being taught by some imbecile on the other side of the world with a laptop open who's writing all kinds of things about all kinds of things instead of Jesus being our teacher. Can a blind man lead a blind man? The blind is leading the blind. The, the, we are being led astray. We are being, is Jesus our teacher? It, I mean, this is kind of like a, it's kind of a, a left jab, you know, some, something like that. It's, it's, it's Jesus saying, let, let me ask you a question. If this guy's blind, can he lead this guy? And if what we believe about Jesus is true, like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Like Jesus knows the best way to live. If, if, if we believe that about Jesus, if we see that about him, then why are we letting other people become our teachers? 
A disciple's not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be just like his teacher. That's scary. That's scary. And it's scary because you may not even realize that you're being led by someone. I don't even care if they are a Christian or claim to be a Christian or claim to have, you know, Judeo-Christian values or something like that. It's still not Jesus. It is not Jesus. And what Jesus is communicating here is that when you devote yourself, when you give your life, when you give your heart, when you give your time, when you give your money to these things, and you say, okay, this is, the, this is what I'm interested in, this is, what, this is what's leading me, what happens is this, is that they become your teacher, and you and I become just like them. Which is why, when the body of Christ comes together, and we take on what it means to be the body of Christ. When we are living out, when we're living as our best, which is we're, we're taking on the teaching of Jesus, and we are being Jesus to one another, and we're able to like replicate that that, that stuff, because we have mirror neurons, and now you're doing what Jesus has called you to do. And you're cautioning me on, hey, Matt, I feel like you're getting too angry about this mask thing. Like, what, what kingdom are you a part of here? You're part of the kingdom of Matt? What, what, what kingdom are you a part of? That's, that's you're, when you say that to me, you are being Jesus to me. You are speaking Jesus' truth to me. And I get to see that. Why does the body of Christ need to gather? Because you can't be Jesus to yourself. That's why. That's ridiculous. You can't be Jesus to yourself and you say, oh, I don't really know anybody there. Well, whose fault is that? It's not my fault. I do every, everything I can to get folks involved. Be involved because when you're fully trained, if you're not connected with God's people, uh, you're gonna be like whoever your teacher is. And the, the problem today is that there's so many people who are, who are self-directed. Well, I am my own teacher. I make my own rules. I make my own uh, judgments. I judge what I do, where I go, who I am, what I'm doing. And that's seriously problematic. Because where do you get the right to say that this is right and that this is wrong, ultimately what you're saying is that you are God. You're self-directed, you're your own teacher, and it's still just as bad. Verse 41 says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. And what's so fantastic about that is that like, that seems like a common story. I mean, maybe you've heard it before, it's famous, that, that kind of thing, but it's really just talking about this idea of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy that runs rampant throughout 
Christianity, that hypocrisy that, that, say, that we say one thing and we do another. And we desire to judge people for the way that they live their life. Well, we're doing the same exact things. And Jesus uses a word there that's ultimately, it's not just like a log, it is a load-bearing beam and a house, according to Tim Keller. It's not, it, Jesus, like, it, Jesus is saying, it is so absurd. It is completely absurd that you would not be self-aware enough to see where your shortcomings are. It is so absurd that you would not do self-evaluation to allow yourself to be evaluated, to not just read the scriptures, but have the scriptures read you. I mean, a lot of times, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like the Sermon on the Mount is really convicting because it's just like, I mean, really, Jesus, is this what you want? And Jesus is saying, this is who I am. You are me. I am you. This is what I want in you. I want you to evaluate the fact that you've got a beam sticking out of your eye when you're trying to point your finger at the culture. You've got a beam sticking out of your eye when you're trying to tell somebody else what they should and shouldn't do. And Jesus is saying, when you are not evaluating yourself, when you refuse to listen to someone else speaking into your life, this is in part why we have membership today. And it's because at times, and this, it, this isn't the only reason, but at times, Churches are, are getting sued because they do church discipline. Somebody says, I'm gonna go do whatever I want. I'm leaving my, my family, and I'm gonna go do this. And, and so the church comes to them and says, hey, bro, this is really bad for you. This is not gonna go well for your kids. It's very selfish. It's whatever. And they get upset, and they, they you know, come after the church legally or something along those lines. But part of what happens in the local church is this, is that like the local church is here not to look down on our nose at those of us who are a part of the church, but, but, to, come to, but to come to each other and speak the truth in love. And the truth in love cannot be spoken when you're disconnected. The truth in love cannot be spoken when you don't really have a church that you go to. And you're just kind of going from church to church. I mean, this live stream thing has got to be a feast on some levels. And yet it causes so many to become increasingly isolated, increasingly less self-aware of my own sin, increasingly less aware of the fact that I'm a stingy jerk, less aware of other people, less aware of what's going on in my life, increasingly becoming my own teacher. Jesus is saying, this leads to hypocrisy. And the log that is in your own eye is ultimately the sin that you carry around with you that no one knows about, that no one hears. It's the stuff that you refuse to be 
confronted on. It's the stuff that, that ultimately wrecks our witness in our world. And Jesus says, this isn't loving. This isn't what I have for you. This isn't what I want. I want something else. But the, the question comes up, like, what do I do with it? I mean, hopefully there, we've tilled some soil here. Hopefully we've tilled some soil in, in our lives that brings up some stuff from the bottom that's just like, I haven't thought about that in a while. I haven't dealt with that. I haven't, I, I'm kind of a sinful human being in these respects. What do you, what do, you do with it? What, do you, what does Jesus do with that log that's in your eye? Well, you can try to deal with it or you can let Jesus deal with the log that is in your eye. And the way that Jesus deals with the log that's in our eye is that he allows himself to be crucified on it. Jesus' crucifixion is as important as his teaching. Because you can, you can get the teaching and, and life can go okay for you, yet not have a changed heart. That's what many of us are walking around with. We have the teaching of Jesus because we live in Western civilization but we do not have the life of Jesus. Jesus brings life to us by giving us his life on a beam that you and I should have died on. And he offers to you merciful. Do you remember earlier it says, for, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And Jesus' kindness is expressed in his crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection. Without that, this is not good news. It is bad news. Without that fact that Jesus went to the cross, all of this is bad news for you and me. The bad news is this. I violate these rules daily. And without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, without his mercy, I will be in hell for eternity. And I will live like hell between now and that time. And I wanna invite you into relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants this for us and he promises us that he will change our lives for the better. Not all at once, but he will change our lives for the better. So I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior today. If you have a sense of that this morning, a desire for that, it's because Jesus is drawing you to himself. And I invite you to say yes to that. As the band comes forward, let's partake of communion. If you didn't grab that on your way in, it's right in the hallway there. Hopefully most of you were able to grab that. We come to the Lord's table to partake of his body and his blood. And, and ultimately what this means is that we're participating with him 
You'll notice that the, the sacraments, the uh, communion and then also uh, baptism, have to do with participating with Jesus. And he's, 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 he wants us to have this kind of participation with him. And uh, the participation is, is this, is that his body and his blood was spilled. His body was broken. His blood was spilled on a cross, on that beam. And I, I just, I, I wonder if you could just take a moment and just, uh, would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me, take a moment right now and just, and would you just think to yourself about like, what is the beam in my eye that I'm missing right now? Have I been my own teacher? My own ruler, my own judge? Have I been judgmental and looked down on people that don't believe the way that I do? That don't live the way that, that I do? Jesus, you went to the cross for that sin. Jesus, you went to the cross and your body was broken. Let's partake of the bread together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your blood was spilled for us on that cross. It covers all of our sin. And so, Lord, we think about the fact that your blood being spilled in this, this juice that represents your blood just is to be a reminder of how you've done that for us on the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for your blood. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus, so much for going to the cross for us. Thank you for dying for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.